Live from Nashville, Tennessee, it's Dawn and Steve in the morning. Good morning from Moody Radio. Coming up, could there be a giving crisis? And later in the hour, what do we do with our adult kids? Steve's out, but Dawn is celebrating because it's Friday. It is Friday, and we are. Oh, I keep hitting my necklace. I'm sorry. If you hear a clink, it's not your car. It is me talking with my hands and hitting my necklace. Okay, I'm going to try to sit on the hands. I don't, I don't know if I can have this conversation with you, Andrew, if I'm sitting on my hands. But we're going to give it our best shot uh, as you talk, Andrew McNair, about the giving crisis that we have in our lives. Thank you for joining us this morning from the beautiful uh, Gulf Coast area of Florida. Yes, ma'am. Glad to be with you today. You have a book. We are jumping the gun. I will say it's coming out in April, but it's such an important topic that we thought, let's go there. It's The Giving Crisis, the name of the book. And I want to know how, why did you see this as a crisis in the church, in the U.S.? What, What are we looking at here as a crisis of giving? Well, it's really an epidemic because we know that it may not feel like it with inflation, but we know that our incomes have actually outpaced inflation over time. And now we have double income households. Uh, Nearly every household is double income. And sadly, if you compare our giving to the Great Depression, to this great economic expansion that we've had over the last 12 years, we actually give uh, less now than in the Great Expansion than we did in the Great Depression. And to me, that's just crazy that the average American spends close to 92% of their money on themselves. They, If they invest or save, they only save 6%. And if they give, they only give 2%. Hmm. That, that, yeah, that's a big change. And I'm thinking right now about the New Testament church in Acts and how they gave so much to the work of the Lord and how they gave to one another and just this generous spirit. So what's happened? Why are we kind of making more, as it were, but giving less? Well, I just think that our maybe our expectations have increased faster than our earnings, and we should go back to the first century church. I mean, that was the original giving generation, and they had this different type of economy. They didn't have a, a communism. They didn't have socialism. They had theism where they were focused on God's will, and they lived sacrificially so much that the Roman Empire was curious. They couldn't understand why these already poor people were giving more of their money away as if they weren't poor. (laughs) Well, that is curious. It would get somebody's attention. And if we are spending more money on ourselves, that sounds like kind of the definition of greed in a way. I mean, self-centered at best. What are we looking at if we're going to combat greed? Well, the only person I can speak to uh, very efficiently is the person I once was. I suffered with this insatiable thirst for more, and it was this voice that was always over my shoulder that you need to make more, increase your net worth, and which are great ambitious things. I mean, it's nothing wrong to be ambitious, but it's this greed that had taken over my life. And so I have figured out a few things through uh, the word, uh, through the Holy Spirit who combat that greed. And one of the first things that I tell families you have to do is set a line in the sand, a line to fulfillment, a limit to fulfillment, where as your income increases, which I hope 
you're working unto the Lord that your income is only going to continue to increase. But what I did is I started off with 10, 20, 70. I started off by tithing 10%. Uh, I would actually invest 20% and live off 70. And as my income increased, I started ratcheting up my giving and my saving. And so today, uh, our family, we give away 50% of our income. We invest 30% and we live on what's left. And that's what I encourage every family to do is don't stop working hard but stop working hard to keep up with the Joneses. Mm -hmm. To give more and to keep that. But how did you do that, uh, Andrew? As you started looking at 10%, I mean, how diligent were you? Were you keeping track? Were you keeping kind of a journal of sorts so that you could see what the Lord was doing? Absolutely. So what I did is every time I would look at my finances, uh, at least on an annual basis, I would say, all right, I just got a pay raise or uh, the company grew. And so let's say to the person that just got a pay raise for 5%, what I would do is I would I would actually make a deal with myself. I would say, you know what, I'm going to do 2% to me because I've worked so hard, 2% to the future me, I'm going to increase my savings, and I'm going to do 1%, I'm going to increase my tithe from 10% to 11%. And that incremental change is how you make progress. I mean, overnight, you could just jump and take a leap of faith, which is awesome to go from me maybe not giving at all to tithing 10%. I think that's a doable leap of faith. But to incrementally get to giving uh, 50% of your income away or 90% of your income, like you've seen like Rick Warren and other pastors do, um, that takes incremental progress. It does take incremental progress. It takes intentionality and it takes starting which is why we're talking about the giving crisis. If we recognize it in our lives, then we can take it to the Lord and start the process of giving more because there are so many needs. We're talking today with Andrew McNair, a new book coming out very soon called The Giving Crisis. Do we recognize this in our own lives? We'll continue the conversation in moments. Don and Steve in the morning, Moody Radio. We're glad you're here. Thanks for listening to Dawn and Steve in the morning. Oh, I tell you what, as we continue the conversation with Andrew McNair, Andrew, I have to say that what we're talking about scares me. Are you ready? It scares me because money is such a personal thing. We've made it, unfortunately, uh, a really high priority. I'm not talking about working to earn money. I'm just talking about money and what we do with it and how we steward it and the greed that kind of creeps in. And you've recognized it and said that we need to talk about the giving crisis. We've been talking a little bit about the greed and how we can combat that. Giving, being intentional about that, setting aside, you started out at 10%, giving, living on 70% and saving uh, 20%. Do my math here, which is always dangerous for me to do math. What as another one, another tip that we could take away for combating greed? Well, I think you have to start by saying, is there a way I can give radically? And this means sometimes sacrifice, downsizing. This means cutting subscriptions because nothing takes the wind out of the sail of greed like loving your neighbor. And that is one of our greatest commands is to love our neighbor. And so if we're ne neglecting orphans, sojourners, incarcerated, widows, and the 
unreached people groups across the world. One thing to combat greed is to say, no, I love those people. I, my heart breaks for those, those people groups, and I want to give sacrificially. And I think that's one of the best ways to combat greed. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're going to give, we're going to make sure that we're being very mindful of how we're breaking out our paychecks and how we're stewarding that. And then we're going to ask the Lord to break our hearts for what breaks his. One more tip for combating greed. Well, this is something we don't do enough. I know uh, here in the South, we don't do it, but repent and fast. Um, And this should challenge all of us because rich is always someone else. But if we live here in America, North America, we are part of the the rich in this equation. And Ephesians 5.5 says, for of this, you can be sure no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such as a man is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of God. Christ and of God. So I, I think what we have to do is we have to meditate on that scripture and say, is that me? And it, am I greedy? Is there any way where if I'm living out of balance, where I'm like the average American spending 92% of my money on myself and I can't give 10% and I can't invest 20%, maybe that applies to me and maybe I need to fast and meditate and make some decisions. Mm-hmm. I so appreciate that we go back to the Lord to ask, because if we're just looking at one another, we're we're kind of looking horizontally and going, yeah, that person needs to do that. But when it gets real, we go to the Lord and we say, uh, what do you want me to do? Show me in my heart. I know there are two more tips for combating greed, but uh, we'll find out what those are when we grab the book that is coming out, The Giving Crisis. And I know we're a little pre-release here in February, and this book is coming out in April, but it's just too important of a topic to let alone. And you're also launching a podcast I got, I'm going to tell you the name of the podcast and then don't turn the channel. Okay. (laughs) Andrew, the name of your podcast is rich, young, and powerful. And I said that you make me nervous. That really made me nervous. Tell me why you picked that name for your podcast. Well, this is the best bait and switch. I I named it Rich, Young, and Powerful because at first glance, that's what a lot of people are want. They may not say that, but they're going after being uh, wealthy. They're going after being famous. They're going after power. And so was the rich young ruler, but he also wanted internal life. And so he came to Jesus and he said, hey, hey, how can I have eternal life? And Jesus said, go sell all of your possessions. And we've heard that scripture, but this bait and switch is so beautiful because he really wasn't telling him to just give away everything. He was actually telling him to trade something, trade earthly treasure for eternal treasure. And so that's one of my uh, really themes of the podcast is meeting with philanthropists and people like Dabo Sweeney from Clemson and meeting with like Danny Gokey, who are not only doing well financially, but they're giving exponentially. And that's what we're called to do is turn those earthly treasures for eternal treasure. Well, you're even meeting with pastors like David Platt. You met with David and he's going to be on your podcast, Rich, Young and Powerful. You also said the Gospel Coalition was like, what? (laughs) And we love the Gospel Coalition. So I you had me. You got me. I I went, I don't know. We're going to talk to this guy. I'm not sure what. What your heart is. Your heart is kingdom work. And we're so grateful for that. As we get ready to listen either to Rich Young and Powerful or The Giving Crisis, what do you want us to know as Christ followers? Well, I just want everyone 
everyone to pray over their finances. You talked about that money is a taboo subject, and we're not talking about it enough in Bible studies. We're talking about hard topics, uh, things like infidelity and adultery and pornography in Bible studies, but we're not talking about money. And to me, that always draws alarm when we can talk about those other things, but we can't talk about our finances. And we just need to make sure that Christ has, um, I don't know, that he has leadership in every category of our life and every category of our home. And I think money is one of those t- subjects we can't keep closed closet. Yeah, we can't leave the money outside of the lordship of Jesus Christ. You are so very right because the rich young ruler tried to do that. Didn't work out mm. so well for him. We are grateful, Andrew McNair, for you challenging us this morning with the giving crisis. We will connect you with Andrew coming up here on our Facebook page or let us know. We'll send you the link through 800-555-7898 Moody Radio. Forget the A-team. It's the AM team with Dawn and Steve in the morning, minus Steve. Yeah, he's out today, but that's okay. He and the family, they're taking a little time together and visiting family and friends, and we're so grateful for that. Thank you for praying for him as he's out today. We're having some super conversations, though. Joining us now is Mary DeMuth. And Mary, you've penned a book that is very personal to you, and I know it's going to be personal to a lot of us with wayward adult kids The book, Love, Pray, Listen, Parenting Your Wayward Adult Kids with Joy. Well, first of all, good morning. Thank you for joining us. Good morning. It's bright and early. (laughs) It is bright and early, and that is so appreciated. I know you're on Central Time as we are here in the studio, and and so it does make it early. But this story can go straight to the heart no matter what time of the day it is. So many of us have adult kids. Using the word parenting and adult kids is is already very dicey. But then if the (laughs) child to us is wayward, that just adds a layer of hurt and angst to any conversation. Can you share a little bit about why you would even go down this road personally to share it in a book? Well, I certainly didn't want to write this book, so it was definitely hard to write. But a couple of years ago, I was in a a Bible, uh, I was in like a prayer loop, and um, there was a lady there whose joy rose and fell on the decisions of her adult kids. And this was before my kids were adults. And I was like, oh, I'm going to take note of this. I don't want this to happen to me. And then my kids became adults and started making their own decisions. And my joy started rising and falling on the decisions that they were making. And so I realized I had to work through that. And the results, the end result of that was writing this book. Oh, now, so as your kids became adults, I'm I'm very curious, how did their decision-making go? Is Was there something specific in the story that you said, okay, we, we I, as a parent, I got to quit hitting my necklace. I just want you to know if you hear that, it is not your car. <laughs> it's me talking with my hands. Uh, if you, um, yeah, is there any part of your story that says, okay, I I can't. How did you recognize that I can't let my decisions, my reactions, my joy rise and fall with my kids' decisions? Well, I I realized, you know, the kids are facing a lot of battles these days, and there's a lot of spiritual battles going on. And I guess what I came to is if the enemy's trying to take out my kids, I can get on my knees and I can pray and I can love and I can listen. I can do all the things in my book. But if he takes me out as well, then he gets a double victory. And that just made me mad. So I was like, (laughs) no, I'm not going to do that. Yes. 
Yeah, it's true because there is so much of our identity tied up in our kids. There's so much of what we have invested over the last how many ever years to Mm -hmm. get them into adulthood. And uh, though it does sound easy in theory to love, pray and listen practically, what does that look like for the parent of the adult child? I think a lot of us get into these difficult conversations with our adult children without first processing them with the Lord. And so take that angst first to him um, and also find some safe community where you can um, you can process that. And then when you come back together, you have a little better perspective. Another way that I've kind of love prayed and listened with my kids is to listen to their lives and find things that would really bless their socks off. So I will buy them gifts in random times that I just know that they will like because I've been listening to their lives. So when you do that, though, Mary, you give that gift, you've listened to their lives. What do you do with the temptation to maybe speak (laughs) into a certain, I don't know, situation where you're seeing them (laughs) head to the cliff, but you kind of realize the Lord is saying, no, you can't speak to this. You've got to let this go. Well, um, all of parenthood is an act of surrender. So there's some people listening that have little bitty kids, and th- but they understand every year it's an act of surrender. And when it when they turn 18, it is a complete act of surrender. And you finally realize that control that you thought you had was an illusion all along. Mm-hmm. And so there is there is just that necessity of resurrendering, resurrendering. And for me, it's Lord, please put a watch over my mouth. Now that doesn't mean that I can't say the truth, but my principle is say it once and then don't say it again because your kids most likely know exactly what you believe. But in case you're not sure, say it once and then move on because they don't need to be nagged when they're 28 years old. Mm, And how hard is that? Parent? So hard. Can I can I get a witness? How hard is that? <laughs> oh, we're talking to Mary Demuth. Excuse me, Mary Demuth this morning. <laughs> Love, pray, and listen. I, I'm so invested in this topic with the 27 and 22 year old out of the house and just having these very conversations with them, or not too. Mm-hmm. As we continue this conversation, are we ever tempted? to change our theology because of the decisions our adult kids have made. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about that on Moody Radio. Thanks for being with us. Why not take Dawn and Steve with you wherever you go? Download the Moody Radio app. Thanks for listening to Dawn and Steve in the morning. So glad to have you. Steve Hiller's out. So having you with me, it's just a treat. I appreciate that. And we appreciate it every morning here at Don and Steve in the Morning. So Mary DeMuth, you have written a book very personal to you. Love, Pray, Listen, Parenting Your Wayward Adult Kids with Joy. One of the things that I see happening and I've asked the Lord to guard my heart and mind over personally is that when our kids start making decisions and choices in their adult living, And it changes our theology. We no longer trust God's word for what it says. We we kind of start to think that it's okay, their sin, their choices. It's okay, and God must be okay with that. Help us look at that formatively through the lens of Scripture. Right. I think a lot of parents, of course, they want to err on the side of love. And so they want to, they have bought into the belief of the world that if you love someone, not only will you approve of everything that they do, but you will applaud it. 
But Jesus talks about a narrow way between those two of truth and love. And I tell the story in the book about a a family who's had a a child who came out and was same-sex attracted. And so they tried to walk that narrow path, but they were having a hard time finding other parents who would they could relate to. Every other parent that they connected with changed their theology. And so they felt super alone. Um, And so I just want to encourage those parents who are are keeping to their theology, but also determining to love. I believe that you can actually do both of those things at the same time. Um, You don't have to approve of whatever it is your adult child is doing, not just this one issue. Um, You don't have to approve of it to love them. And I think that's a shallow view of love when we say we love equals approval and applause. Mm -hmm. Uh, That is well said. And the other thing we really grieve and can't find joy in is when our kids start to walk away. They want to deconstruct their faith. They want to walk Mm -hmm. away from what they've been told and taught their, maybe their whole lives. How do we answer and engage in that conversation well, so that we don't kind of add insult to injury? I think a lot of that involves listening and having a holy curiosity of your kids. And, you know, even I think we've become really contentious over the past couple of years because of COVID. We've just like become talking heads at each other. We've lost the art of listening. And so one of the things that we try to do around our table when we gather our adult kids with us is to try to find some common ground. So even like, for instance, if you're talking about abortion, which is a huge topic, we could we could find a way to find common ground. And that made the, the discussion so much more interesting. So we could finally believe on, it is very important that women in crisis flourish. And we could all agree on that one thing. Now, the working out of that is going to be different from each person. But I think there's an art that we've lost of just becoming curious and asking questions and not pontificating our response, but just simply listening. It is a lost art to do that. And and I've kind of been in both conversations, right? I've been in where, okay, no, you need to listen to me. And then the other is I need to listen to you. Do you have boundaries around your table as you have these conversations with your adult kids? Well, we've always kind of had the boundary of we need to love and respect each other. So I think that um, is the boundary that we've continued as adults. So we just don't allow that. If it if we start naming names or, or you know, um, har- harming each other, then we stop the conversation and say, hey, we're not going to act that way. And literally, we really haven't had to do that very much. Mm-hmm. The, the pivot, it, it's available. You see it when you need to make it. <laughs> you see it and you can... Well, together agree, okay, walk it away from this. As we walk in to love, pray, and listen, parenting your wayward adult kids with joy. Mary DeMuth, I know that this was not an easy book to write, but so many of us, very thankful that you did so that we have a tool that helps us think through how we might listen better and let the joy of the Lord continue to be our testimony. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Absolutely. Appreciate that. We're connecting you to Mary through our Facebook page. It is Don and Steve in the morning, remembering that the Lord is the one who is the author, perfecter, and finisher, not only of our faith, but of our kids as well, even in their adult years. It's Don and Steve.